Mac Power Users, episode 393, 2017 Developer Roundtable. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks, along with my pal, Katie Floyd. How are you today, Katie? I'm great, David. How are you? I'm excellent, and I'm a little giddy about today's episode. We have not one, but three guests today. Yes, it's a little unwieldy. Uh, we are having, I guess we could call it our our second. Uh, it's not annual because we haven't done it before, but our second developer roundtable. The last time we did this was episode 216 when iOS was 8 was getting ready to come out. And we are thrilled to have with us the same uh, crew join us again. Uh, we've got Greg Scown from Smile Software. We've got Ken Case from the Omni Group, and we've got Dave Tier from Agile Bits, the makers of 1Password, all joining us today. So welcome, gentlemen. Pleased to have you with us. Oh, thank you. Great to be here. Thanks for having us. Now, for uh, those who don't know these gents, they're, they're some of the smartest people I know in the software business. Ken uh, started making software in 1981. He worked on the Next platform before Apple acquired it, and he's got 36 years experience in software development. Uh, Ken, you, you've, you've been around the Apple block. I think you're, I always call you the most experienced Apple developer I know because you were developing for Apple before it was Apple in essence. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> I don't know if that makes me uh, sound experienced or old, but uh, I don't know. I don't know. But the, uh, and then, and then Greg, um, Greg Scown, um, from Smile Software, Greg started at Apple. He's got 24 years. Thanks, Greg, for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, and Dave Tier um, is the uh, is one of the the geniuses behind One Password. And uh, the thing I love about Dave, he started developing software when he was a kid. He he made a game where you would send him a check and he'd cash it, and then he'd send you mail with a disc in it. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Dave. Thank you, thank you so much for having me here. Thank, thankfully, not a model that is still around off right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although, if you have records, you may have received a check from me, because I know I bought some of those CompuServe games. <laughs> um, but, but I was looking at it, and between these four gentlemen, we've got 87 years experience of software development. So uh, we wanted to bring this to the audience. Uh, a disclaimer before we begin, all three of these companies, as you may know, have been longtime sponsors of Mac Power Users. We're not here today to talk about their products, and they're not here because that they sponsor the show. They're here because they're just some of the smartest people, Katie and I know, to talk about these issues. Um, so take it for what it is. Um, uh, the goal today is to talk about with the experience these guys and their companies have dealing with iOS and Mac, uh, you know, where does iOS and Mac stand right now? You know, where is the future direction of these operating systems? As users, how are we going to be able to get more out of our devices as they see it? And, you know, just to talk about the software business in general a little bit since we've got them here. Um, so I guess with all those introductions out of the way, why don't we start talking about iOS? Yeah, and maybe a good place to start is to start talking about the new version of iOS that we think is probably going to come out in the next couple of weeks. We just got yet another beta, a rare, um, I think, beta six for, for public betas. But um, let's talk a little bit about kind of what you think about the future of iOS and maybe specifically what your thoughts are on the new iOS 11 beta. And so to keep us all from from cross-talking with each other, um, Dave, I'll probably start with you. Um, what are your thoughts on iOS 11 beta? 
Well, so first of all, f- full disclosure, I have like basically multiple full-time jobs. Like they're all at Agile Bits, but I basically work a lot of jobs. So I've actually, this year I've skipped all the betas. So I haven't, haven't installed any of them. But um, we have been playing a lot with like the, uh, the frameworks and, and what, uh, you know, the goodies that Apple has given us. And um, I don't know, the... Uh, the um the, the most exciting part of iOS 11 of course is just iPad right just they Apple is really taking things to the next level there for for productivity users and um we we were there pretty quick with um some actual proof of concepts of of what we can do with like uh the, the new drag and drop for instance um Katie I, I put some I put some links in the show notes that you might want to share with your listeners and just you know they're, they're just they're not polished at all, but you know it just shows you what what's capable. You know you can drag and drop like a login onto a onto an app, and it'll just automatically fill in your username, and password, um, you know, credit cards, stuff like that. And so I don't know. I was I was pretty excited about that. Um, me personally, though, it's it's really got to be the new pencil for me. But that's kind of getting into the hardware, which isn't necessarily your 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 question there. Well, what about the you know the drag and drop is you know, a banner feature for iOS 11 and, you know, everybody on this call is, is in the business of making productivity apps. Um, does that change your game any Ken? I mean, for the stuff you guys are doing at Omni, what was the reaction to drag and drop, uh, in your team? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, drag and drop, I think is the, from my point of view, at least, uh, from our point of view at Omni is the biggest feature in iOS 11. Uh, just this ability for apps to, uh, to communicate with each other outside of the sandbox and not over a tiny little narrow channel the way we've had before where maybe you could send a URL over or, uh, or you know, I guess you could send a whole document before. But it was, um, it really did not feel very fluid, um, the integration between apps. Now, um, you can just being able to drag something from OmniFocus uh, straight into mail or drag a mail message into OmniFocus or Safari to... Um, you know, an image from Safari and drop it into uh, OmniGraffle to add a picture to your diagram. Uh, all of these integrations uh, are much, much richer now with this system-wide drag and drop. I, I feel like, um, you know, for years, my biggest complaint about every iOS update is that Apple Mail seems like it gets no love. But the ability to drag and drop like an Apple Mail event into OmniFocus or, or you know, or get this stuff uh, where they can talk to each other despite Apple not really doing a lot to the underlying application. Uh, that makes such a huge difference. Yeah, and they really fleshed it out this time around. Like, uh, I was worried that maybe they would just provide a little bit of data about uh, the mail message on the pasteboard. But no, they actually provide the entire mail content, uh, you know, the raw message, although if you go to that level, you have to parse the MIME format yourself. Um, but they also you know, supply you with a link uh, that you can use to link back to the message in mail uh, and open it back up. They uh, offer text representations. Uh, so the whole thing is, uh, is really well done. Yeah, I mean, that that was something I didn't even know that Apple would do. You know, it's like seems like Apple's changing a little bit. Maybe that's a question we'll ask in a little bit is how are they changing? But uh, when you drag a message out of Apple Mail, there is, as I understand, a link identifier. So an, a third party app can just put a button once you drag the app and say, click this or tap this and it will go open the source email. Yep, that's right. They, what they offer basically is a uh, a message URL, which in the past we have tried to guess at what URL they 
um, they might use uh, on the Mac side in particular when we were doing clippings from mail to OmniFocus. Uh, and so, you know, sort of reverse engineering, well, what, what could they use and how would they use it? Um, and we managed to find a URL that worked. Uh, but now they are actually providing us with the URL and, and that's much, much better because now we know that it's in the right format. We know that it, um, it should work when we go to open it up later. Yeah, and I tell me if I'm asking questions that you're not allowed to answer or not, because I know you guys have agreements with Apple. But as I understand it, the link format is the same as on the Mac as well. Right. Yeah, the same URL works in both places now. So, so like if I drag a message once this thing ships and you guys get everything figured out, if I drag a message out of Apple Mail into an OmniFocus task and then I tap it, whether I'm on the Mac or the iOS device, I'm going to be able to get there. Exactly. That makes me so happy. <laughs> me too. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think, Greg? Are, did, did Apple do a good job with this drag and drop thing? I mean, are you satisfied with the, the API and the way they implemented it? Um, yeah, no, we're perfectly happy with drag and drop. Um, in fact, you know, we'll be able to bring things into PDF pen, into PDF documents in ways that we couldn't before. So we think that's really exciting. Although I think we are, I know this may sound a little strange, but we're a little more excited about the standardized files interface um, because I don't know if you if you've noticed, but you know PDF Pen has to ingest files from a variety of sources, and we've built all this code to do that. But it's not the same code in any other app that it is in ours. And finally, now a user will be using the same way to interact with files in. PDF pen as they do in any other app. And we think that that's incredibly exciting. So Greg, does that mean that when I open files from different app providers, sometimes I have to save it, I can save it right back to the provider. Sometimes I have to save a copy. Um, you know, is, is that going to change that whole problem where depending on what app providers were blessed by Apple and what had certain access to certain um, uh, document story providers, is this going to streamline all that? It should. I mean, it's certainly going to depend on the capability of the provider. But at the same time, now the providers are much more highly motivated because it works across the board everywhere in every app in the same way. So I would be shocked if providers that are currently lagging don't get updated or revised for iOS 11. And so, Dave, um, I know that you've had the ability to store files in 1Password. Is is that going to change with, with you guys and the, the files apps? Do you see much interaction between your team there? I really want to see that. It's just I'm not sure how that's actually going to play out. So to be honest, we kind of had our plates full of other things, so we didn't actually investigate that too deep. But our, our guys looked at it a little bit. Um, it's kind of one of the interesting things when the team size keeps on getting bigger and bigger. You don't get to uh, you don't get to play with with everything anymore. But for for right now, we're kind of taking a wait and see on that one. Um, so so sorry, I haven't really uh, got too much news there. No, that's fine. And then Ken, I know that Omni Group went so far as to build your own syncing solution with the Omni Sync server, kind of to get around some of the the limitations of what Apple was offering. Do you see any improvement going forward or how is that going to impact you? I guess what I see is that uh, that the realm of places where you can store our documents and have um, have great sort of first class interactions uh, is really opening up now with the files app. Uh, you know, I, I uh, agree with Greg that this is going to make a big difference. And I think a lot of the um, the 
other third-party providers that are, have been out there um, sort of half-heartedly supporting the platform or just supporting it um, to the extent that, that uh, things have worked before are now really motivated to support the full feature set that Apple expects from somebody who is uh, providing something inside the Files app. You know, I have a friend that works for Dropbox, and I was asking uh, her about how come Dropbox never fully embraced, you know, the file sharing protocols that Apple brought in over the last couple iterations of iOS. And she said, frankly, we're afraid of them. You know, we know our stuff works as is, and and the Apple stuff, we're just not sure we want to fully invest in that and have users lose data, you know, which to them is job number one, is preventing loss of data. Um, uh, since iOS 11 is released, um, I, I'm hearing from little birdies that Dropbox is much more interested in embracing this new files technology and that Apple has now with the second bite at the Apple has, has made it a lot easier for developers to incorporate this stuff. I mean, is that your experience, Greg? Cause I know with PDF pin, you guys, this is probably a big deal to you getting this, this, um, universal file access. Oh, absolutely no. I mean, we think it's it's really fantastic. Um, we're we're not. I mean, privy to to anything specific from Dropbox. I mean, frankly, it sounds like you you know more than we do. But we are more or less willing to stake the bet that uh, the providers are going to be top notch, if not right away, then not long after iOS eleven, because the the user demand will just will just force it. Yeah, I um, I mean, because I'm crazy, I moved all of my major files into Apple iCloud. Uh, about two months ago because I was tired of looking at this beta and not having been able to use it. <laughs> and uh, it's worked remarkably well for me. And having favorites in the files menu on iOS is, is really great. I mean, it's it's interesting to me because they didn't call it a finder. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that. It, and it really isn't a finder. It's a it's a files application, you know, and, and it shows you your files, but it doesn't get you into the operating system like the finder does on the Mac. Um, so, Ken, you were mentioning that, that you think there's some li- uh, room for improvement down the line with, with Dropbox. W- what do you think we're going to see? Well, I guess one of the things that um, that has been problematic for our apps for years with, with Dropbox and Google Drive and some of these other apps that, uh, that didn't really start as um, start in the Apple ecosystem, that they're cross-platform storage solutions, is that they haven't always embraced the full... Um, set of file coordination um, APIs that Apple provides. Uh, so this is this is getting a little bit technical, but the file coordination APIs are what guarantee that um, when uh, you transfer a file from one system to another, that it's in a consistent state. So that the, that the entire document has been saved all the way. It's not in the process of partially being saved. Uh, so in an omni-outliner document, for example, um, in, the, in the older format, that is, um, before Outliner 5, uh, we would store uh, all of our data as a directory wrapper. And so we would write an index XML file and we would write our file attachments. Well, Dropbox um, would transfer maybe the index file update um, before it got around to noticing the file attachments. And you could end up with the data getting corrupted that way. Um, and with now that, uh, you know, I'm sure that as Apple looks for them to integrate into the files app, then um, they're going to be, you know, verifying that uh, apps are better behaved about coordinating all of their activities so that when you grab something, it will be in a consistent state. And uh, and I'm looking forward to getting fewer support questions about, you know, from customers who have, who have lost data because of that sort of problem. 
Now, Ken, doesn't that also enable users to do what I call edit in place as opposed to making a copy, you know, sneaker net style edits to documents? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if it requires a little bit of work on our end as a uh, as an editor uh, application, but um, but it's work that is you know certainly worthwhile doing. So um, so we're working on that right now uh, in the the current uh, OmniGraffle test flight. I believe supports edit in place, and and we will be adding that to all of our document based apps soon. So I mean, that, and that that's the thing that was maddening before is like for people who want to work on an iPad. Why should you have to make a copy of a document to edit it? And it feels to me like this new files app is is at least getting us in the direction of of solving that problem. Yeah, and when you start making a copy, then you have to worry about which copy is the newest. And uh, yeah, and, I mean, it's like, we're back to the old days, you know, final, final, final version two point two point two point two. You know, <laughs> right. all this craziness. It's like I thought we got away from that, but apparently not. But but hopefully that's going to be fixed with this files thing. Yeah, I certainly hope so. Certainly, step in the right direction. We've we've seen in the last couple of versions of of iOS, you you each have gotten some features that you have long been waiting for. You know, like Greg, you guys got uh, keyboard support. Um, I think it was in iOS ten, maybe it was in iOS nine. I don't remember which was huge for Text Expander. Um, and Dave, you guys got you know Touch ID support for third party apps. And Ken, it looks like hopefully uh, Siri integration is going to come uh, for for OmniFocus. I know there's there's now Siri Kit. Um, has Apple really done a good job giving developers more of the API access they want? And what what is some of the low hanging fruit that's still out there? Um, and you know, Greg, I guess I'll start with you. Uh, sure. So uh, Apple introduced keyboards uh, in iOS eight, um, and so we may even have discussed has it this been that the last long? time around. Wow. Yeah, it's been that long, um, and. Uh, so yeah, we I mean we immediately wrote a keyboard because that was the best way to have access to your abbreviations in any app on iOS. Uh, so I mean, as you know, iOS is fairly sandboxed, uh, more so than the Mac, and so there's not the ability to provide a input filtering service that works across the board. Uh, but there is the ability to provide a keyboard that works across the board, and 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 so we've done. Um, iOS 11 introduces uh, an interesting twist on the keyboard for the iPad. And so there is now a second row of uh, keycaps, essentially, that you can flick to select. So you'll find that there are uh, symbols above numbers and and other things of that nature that you might expect on a physical keyboard, um, and you have touch access to them. Um, And so we are in the process of, of revising our keyboard to support that. Uh, Dave, any other any other low hanging fruit that you see Apple could could implement to help one password? I mean, I, you've done a really good job of implementing your extension through the share sheet, but it, you know, I'd sure like to see it there on the menu bar in Safari. Well, it's it's really funny. You uh, as soon as you brought that up, I was trying to remember when did they add app extensions, right? I, I couldn't remember, but as soon as Greg started talking, I think it was with iOS eight. Right, because it was alongside the key, the, the custom keyboard. Because you know we had the option of using a custom keyboard as well, but for us it didn't work because we wouldn't get access to like the password fields, like those were protected. So you know that 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 was not not a viable solution for us. But the app extensions were they were a huge game changer, and it, it feels like we've always had it, right? But when when did we talk last? I think it was 2014. So it was only only three years ago, right? You actually had to like double tap, you know, 
well, you probably had to hit the home button, launch one password, go find the, the password you need, copy the username, come back, paste, and then you had to do it all over again for the password, right? And, and the app extensions really made that uh, so, so, much, so much cleaner. Um, in terms of low-hanging fruit, it's always easier to tell another developer that something's easy, right? Um, but from my perspective, I think one thing that would be um, fairly straightforward to do is when you like apps that actually integrate with one password um, through our through our app extension. Um, when I tap on like the one password icon right now, like the share sheet comes up and you have to like choose one password manually, right? It'd be really cool if if developers could just say, hey, you know, when someone taps on this button, I just want them to go straight to one password. Like there's no like there's no reason to ask, right? That would that would save like you know a, a lot of time on on each each invocation there. Ken, are you happy with with what you got in iOS 11, or is there more low hanging fruit for you all? Well, I'm you know I'm certainly happy with what Apple does you know each year as it you know they mentioned all the way back to iOS 8 those extensions helped us too as we got today and sharing extensions and being able to send documents between apps and then iOS 9 was a huge one for us with multitasking and. Uh, split screen multitasking in particular on iPads. But yeah, iOS 11 is great. The the one thing that I guess I'm really curious to see looking ahead toward the future is, uh, is to see what Apple does with, uh, with what they've done with acquiring the workflow team. Yes, we all are. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm rubbing my hands together right now just thinking about that. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I, I um, spoke at the Command-D conference that, um, that Sal did and, and some of the workflow team was there just watching and I was so tempted to ask them, but I don't want to get them fired. So I didn't say too much, but the, uh, but it seems like they're very eager about whatever they're doing. So I hope that's good news. And, and, and I don't know if I'm allowed to say this Ken or not, but I'm on the beta for OmniFocus for iOS 11. And hypothetically, I feel like a boss every time I add something to OmniFocus with my voice, which is something that <laughs> hypothetically we may all see soon. Yeah, I think you're allowed to talk about that since everything's in, in public beta. Now. All right. Um, yeah, the Siri integration is great. The, um, the And the drag and drop, um, you know, I mentioned between apps, but in OmniFocus in particular, within the app, it has made such a difference in terms of the usability. Just being able to drag a task into another task by dropping it onto it is a, a much faster way to work. Hey, you know, I hadn't really thought about that because there's so much focus on dragging and dropping between apps, but this these features are also available to you uh, inside your own apps where you can move things around. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, that's the only thing that's available if you're on an iPhone with iOS 11, which is kind of sad. I, you know, I would love to be able to drag and drop between apps on the iPhone as well. Maybe that's another low-hanging fruit for a future update. I'm, I'm not sure what the issue is there. From your lips to Tim's ears. This episode of the Mac Power Users is sponsored by MindNode the delightful mind mapping application for the Mac, iPad, and iPhone. Conquer your next project with MindNode. If I was a betting man, I'd say just about every person listening to me has a big project somewhere on the horizon. It may be something at work or school, or maybe even something you're doing in the community or with your kids. All of you are thinking about some big project out there and how to get started on it. This week's sponsor, MindNode, makes a mind mapping application that can help you get that project off the ground. One of my favorite uses for MindNode is project planning. And just bear with me a minute here and let me tell you how I use it. At any one time, I've always got several projects that I'm cooking on. These are things that aren't easy, are going to take some planning, and I need to spend time figuring them out. 
MindNode is critical to me for this. For every new projects I have, I create a MindNode. And when I first start the projects, I'll just add a few nodes to it. It's a mind mapping application, so I can put in details about a few things I want to say or a few points I want to raise if I'm writing something. I always know when I first start that the map's going to be small, but I at least get it started. And then after that, an amazing thing happens. My subconscious mind starts cooking on it, and I'll wake up in the middle of the night with a great idea for that presentation or that book. And all I have to do is open MindNode. Because MindNode works on all the platforms, it doesn't matter if I'm holding my phone or my Mac or my iPad, I can quickly add that idea in. And then every few days, if I just open the MindNode and look at it, new ideas will come to me again because, again, that subconscious mind is working. If I can cook on that idea for a while, you know, give me two or three weeks, by the time I get ready to really start the project in earnest, I've already worked through a lot of the hard details using MindNode. I really want you to try this. The next time you've got a big project, get yourself a copy of MindNode. It's not too expensive. And just start planning it out in the future and let your brain cook on the idea. I don't know how to really describe project planning this way other than liberating. I've met several listeners over the years that picked up on this and started doing it themselves, and they had the same experience too. So head over to MindNode.com. Get yourself a copy of MindNode. It's the perfect application for working this way. It's not too expensive, very well-made, and very considerate design. So take control of your projects today at MindNode.com and let them know you heard about it on the Mac Power Users. You know, looking at iOS 11, one of the things that is very curious to me is this dock. Um, if you, uh, I mean, the doc, it, uh, this, this whole no multitasking interface, in my opinion, is all about putting your apps on the dock. That's the easiest way to get to apps to do multitasking. And, um, suddenly, you know, those apps in your dock are, are super important to you. Um, do you guys, uh, I guess, well, first of all, what is your opinion of that? And second of all, this is a m- pretty significant change to the user interface for iOS, uh, one of the most we've ever seen. And, uh, you know, what are your feelings on that? I guess start with Greg. Uh, I've found the doc fairly fluid and handy to work with. Uh, but that said, you know, Taxi Spender is more of something that you use occasionally. So it's not likely to be something that's going to land in your dock, maybe PDF pen. And so, you know, we're, we're more going to show up for you on the keyboard or in apps that have uh, the text expander SDK support. Yeah. Like in the, in the beta, a PDF pen is in my dock because it's a great app for like, if, if a document that I want to look in a PDF and then I want to compare it to notes on the web or, or, Ulysses or, or OmniFocus or whatever, I can just go down to the dock and swipe it up. Fantastic. You're, you're exactly the user that we would want to have PDF in the dock. <laughs> but I do feel like for productivity apps, um, the, you need to get the message to the to the users. That if you put my app in your dock, it actually gets more useful to you. But um, you know, I, I'm not sure. I, it's going to be very curious to me to see if that message gets across, because for everybody, the dock has always been a place that you put four apps. And are people going to be willing to put 10 in there? Are they even going to figure out that's the thing they can do? Have you guys thought much about that, Ken? No, I, I guess I actually haven't given it much that I've, you know, I've, um, I've upgraded two of my iPads, the uh, to iOS 11, and I use, you know, the dock quite a bit. I actually have a folder of apps in my dock, um, and I don't know whether that um, means that I don't have some of the capabilities of what the dock allows or not, but <laughs> it seems to be working fine for me. Yeah, well, it, it it is weird because it's a, if if an app is in the dock, that makes it kind of a, a first class citizen because a user can 
pull it into multitasking very easily. Whereas if it's on your, I guess you, I guess on your springboard or your desktop, I guess I would say, right. uh, it's actually a little bit more difficult to multitask with it. So it, it just seems to me like um, this is a significant change. And uh, I, I'm curious if it means they're, they're willing to make even more significant changes in the future on this stuff. Have you given any thoughts to that, Dave? Not really that much, to be honest. So from first of all, from my perspective, I haven't played with it myself. Like I've only watched videos, so I'm going to kind of pass on that anyways. But from one password specifically, you know, I'm not sure. I don't know. I guess with with like drag and drop, if you're drag and dropping items from one password, you, you'd want it there. Um, but I'm I'm still I still love the app extension. I'm I'm just keep on hoping we can keep on furthering that along. And so. I'm hoping that you're not forced to have it on your dock. Like it would be nice if it's on your dock, but I'm I'm hoping that users aren't aren't required to do that to make it useful. Yeah, you know, another area uh, for iOS that I want to hear your thoughts are are on automation. Um, we've talked in the past about you know the idea of the sandbox in iOS, and for a long time, I think all of us were willing to kind of grin and bear it because iOS is super useful and in a lot of ways a Mac isn't, but it also was these roadblocks as more of us try to get more done with it. And now um, we've got to a point where a lot of us users and a lot of listeners to the show want to be more productive with an iPad and an iPhone and those artificial constraints that we had from the, you know, the sandbox and the beginnings of iOS are, are really getting in the way. Um, uh, what do you guys think about you know, the future of iOS as an automation-based platform. And I, I'm going to ask you first, Ken, because I know you guys have, have put a lot of work into this lately. Yeah, and this is actually something we started about, um, oh goodness, it would have been at least a year and a half ago now, where we were thinking about what are the uh, what are the things that remain on iOS that or that are sort of limiting our apps on, on iOS. And automation was a big piece of that. Uh, so we started working on... Um, on the JavaScript automation that we've now shipped in OmniGraffle uh, for both the Mac and iOS, where you could write the same script on both platforms and and uh, and have it, you know, manipulate the app. I think that's really um, been great as far as it goes. I think it will be even better when there are more apps that do the same thing right where uh automation is something that i think gets more useful the more apps are in the same ecosystem if i can write a script that talks to OmniGraffle, well that's useful but if it can talk to OmniGraffle and then also talk to omni outliner so it takes an outline and and turns it into a diagram in OmniGraffle, that makes it more useful and if it can work with you know then send it to pdf pen and uh let somebody do some markup there and then bring it back and send it to email or whatever the more things that uh can participate in the ecosystem the more useful automation gets so i guess what i'm most looking for you know that's part of the reason that i'm i'm looking forward to see what seeing what apple does with the workflow team uh is the more apps get on board with doing some sort of automation uh the better that is for for everybody who's doing any sort of automation yeah, and I feel like for the listeners who aren't aware of it, um, we're going to put some links in the show notes about what Omni's done with JavaScript, but it, it really almost feels like a public service, you know, because we didn't have a way to easily script the, um, you know, the, the iOS platform 
And even, you know, so there's two problems. Number one is we didn't have a way to script iOS platform. And number two, if we did come up with a way, how did we do it in a way where we didn't have to duplicate the work? So if you wanted to do make automation scripts, and there's a lot of people listening to the show that love to automate things. You know, you have to write an Apple script on the Mac and you have to do something else on iOS. So you're doubling your work. Uh, what the Omni Group has done is come up with a way to write a scripting uh, mechanism that works both on your Mac and iOS. So you, if you learn how to do this, it works on both platforms. And as I understand it, you've been really open with the development community, encouraging people to kind of pick up what the work you've, you've done. Yeah, we certainly have been. I've, in fact, you know, in general with our frameworks, what we have done when we think it's something that's generally useful and not just specific to our app, uh, like what we've done with our omnipresence syncing technology is we've made it available as open open source code uh, under an MIT-based license that anybody can download it and use it in their apps uh, with no licensing or even necessarily crediting back to us. Uh, and so I suspect that's what we want to do here as well, right? I have not talked um, talked this over with all of our team, but I think you know, for the reasons that I just mentioned, that automation gets more useful the more people are using it. So if we get this out into more apps, um, the more apps, the better. Yeah, and you don't have to name names, but are you hearing from other developers interested in this kind of stuff? Or, uh, yeah, I have heard from um, from several other developers who would who would love to put this in their productivity apps. So, yeah, that's great. And like, and and Greg, you guys as well have been some of the best supporters of Apple Script um, on the Mac side. Like, I know whenever we hear from listeners that want to do some kind of automation thing with a PDF, ultimately they end up using PDF Pen because it's one of the most supportive of Apple Script. Um, have you guys given any thought towards automation on the iOS? Uh, well, so we certainly are already doing uh, automation on the iOS in terms of Text Expander, um, and so you have cross cross platform JavaScript uh, expansions that you can do. Uh, in terms of uh, PDF Pen, we're definitely excited to see what the, uh, Ken and the Omni Group are doing. They're certainly leading the way. I, I mean, I think that you know if I if I'm playing with my crystal ball a little bit, it seems that JavaScript is going to be the language. The question is, is there going to be an iOS-wide connective tissue as there is with Apple scripts? Um, I mean, in a way, it's the the sort of JavaScript event layer, but uh, but that's a terrible way to call it and a terrible way to, to name it. But nonetheless, something that is the connective tissue that's available to all apps um, and certainly that the, the Omni frameworks um, you know, w w would be a beginning, but I wonder if there's going to be the all the way across the board coming. Um, sort of seems like a logical thing for iOS 12. It would be great if Apple led the way on this, you know, like with Apple Script. Uh, the reason we have Apple Script is because Apple first came up with the idea of Apple Events, which is a mechanism that really tracks everything going on in your Mac, and then then wrote the scripting language for it. But um, I honestly don't have much faith that they're going to do that. I think they're interested in automation enough to buy workflow and figure out a way to make something happen. But I don't think we're ever going to get the kind of um, support that you have with Apple events on the Mac. I mean, what do you think, Dave? Are are they going to come around on this? I'm not not really sure, to be honest. I'm not the, the biggest of automation guys. It was interesting when you're asking the question, David, two, two thoughts came to mind, like on iOS specifically, on iOS specifically. Um, one was like very personal and one was like for one password, like on the one password side of the world, you know, automation 
you know, it's, it's, it's not a nat, a really natural fit for one password in many ways, like in terms of like filling passwords and stuff like that, that'd be great to automate, but you know, how do you do that in a secure manner? Right. You can't just have any app calling you and saying, Hey, give me that password. And you're like, okay. Right. So yeah, you the know, sandbox d- helps you in a lot of ways. It protects your data. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Um, now we, we have done a fair amount of work. Like I don't want to talk the app extension to death, but basically the app extension gave us a lot of, um, capabilities there. Right. So, so apps are able to send us passwords and, and like logins and we'll save it for them and then we'll give it back to them later when, when they want it. Um, so that, that's some of the things we're doing there. Um, but the, just again, when you ask the question, the first thing that came to my mind was actually, I got a problem. I got. A, I think we all have this problem, but I, I probably treat it differently than you guys. I basically am a huge workaholic, and I take my work with me everywhere, right? And so my iPad is actually kind of my oasis in many ways. I kind of use that as a place to kind of go do simpler things. I actually don't overly want like really complex things to be done on the iPad. Like I, I just like a nice simpler world there. Um, it's, it's more of the Mac side where you know, I, I want the power of automation and those things. Yeah. And that makes sense. And I, I think that's been Apple's position from the beginning. We had a, a, a listener and actually a guy who was a guest on the show once write in to say um, that he looks at the iPad as where he determines if he's going to hire somebody, if he can get his work done on the iPad, then he'll do it. But if he can't, then that means he might need to hire somebody because he's got some sort of automation or repeating task that he could hire somebody to do for him, which I thought was a really interesting take on it all. But, but Ken, just finishing up the, the automation subject, Ken, I mean, I feel like you guys are such a, have played such a role in this. And, you know, I mean, even before, the JavaScript stuff, the automation stuff you added to OmniFocus for me was life changing. It, it made so many things easier. No, um, I'm glad. <laughs> it, well, I mean, it really is. I mean, I'm not kidding. The, uh, but do you think? Um, I mean, do you think Apple is going to take more of a role in this, or is this something where, as the de- the development community, really needs to kind of lead the way? I think there's only so much Apple can do anyway. You know, the, the, they certainly could do more than they than they have um although they're you know what they're doing right now is with providing uh you know this infrastructure for doing drag and drop uh communication between apps and so on those are all good foundational things that that only apple can do um but we do already i think have the tools to do a lot of automation on ios with the apps that we have and uh, and so it's up to us to just get down and, and down to work and build it into our apps yeah, I, I feel like between workflow and what the Omni Group's doing and a couple of these other developers, that we have come so far with automation on iOS. And I do feel like that there is still gold to mine out of that mountain for users. So uh, that's one of the things I am most excited about with iOS 11 and future iOS releases. And I get, Dave, that, you know, not everybody wants it. But for those of us that are going to try and use an iPad instead of a laptop on occasion, uh, we need it. So hopefully there's a way to do it without getting in the way of folks that don't want to use that stuff. Well, and I'll say that oh, our, all of our apps appreciate what Dave did with the uh, app extension, uh, that we use that to save our passwords in, in our apps. Yeah, it led the way. Thank, thank you. But thank, thanks for in, um, integrating the app extension in, into your app there, Ken. Um, that's actually one of our biggest challenges is getting developers to integrate the the app extension into, directly into their apps. Um, basically, um, just to take a step back, because I, I think we're also close to it, we 
I should describe it to the users. But basically, when an app launches and it needs a username and password, what we provide just through this little um, open open source library that you can download and just link directly into your code is just a little button, like just the one password icon right beside the password field. And when you tap on that, it will invoke the the, uh, the share sheet so the user can you know go through the whole flow of picking one password, unlocking, and then we automatically show you your your, your passwords that match that app. And then you can select one. And then we, we pass back all this information back to the app. And then, you know, there's a specified format there. So you can extract what you need and, and, and place the things in the, in the right fields. And, you know, we, we've, we've taken that pretty far, but I, I think we, I think, I think we can take it farther. Like, for example, um, uh, one-time passwords, um, we, we could, we could also, pa- we, we could also fill those. Like we currently do that, but you have to invoke one password again. It would be nice if just, you know, we we improve the flow so it's just like one tap uh, or, you know, that type of thing. The library that, that Dave and his team provide is really great. Uh, we use it in Text Expander and we use it in PDF Pen. Uh, in PDF Pen, if you password protect a PDF, you have the option to save your password in one password. Yeah, see, it's like you guys are all jumping over the sandbox and that that's what I like, you know, <laughs> safely, you know, finding a way to do that. I want to talk for a few minutes about the iPad. It it feels like there has perhaps been a little bit of a resurgence in the iPad of late. You know, within the last 18 months, Apple has developed and released the iPad Pro. You know, we've we've seen this slump in iPad sales that seems like it's finally taking a turnaround. Uh, there seems to have it for a while been a stagnation in development for the iPad, but then Apple releases the, the beta of iOS 11, which is just chocked full of, of iPad features. And I guess maybe I'm asking, are, are David and I, as Mac Power Users podcast host, are we too close to it? Or are you guys also seeing kind of a resurgence in interest from the iPad from a developer standpoint? Um, Dave, I'll start with you. Well, I'm not sure about from the developer standpoint. Like, I, I, iOS 11 is helping a lot there, but like from a... From like a personal standpoint, like I can point to the fact that my daughter is really excited about the new iPad Pro. We had to go get her one because she literally would just not shut up about it. Um, and just because she's 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 very art- artistic, right, and um, very creative. And you know she she wanted the pencil so that she so she could draw with it. And you know um, my wife my wife has a you know the larger iPad Pro, and you know it, it was nice. I, I used I used it a bit and. Um, but to me, I just, I wasn't overly excited about it. But then when we started using this, um, you know, basically the du- the double refresh rate, right, with the, with the, iP- with the uh, new iPad Pros, I don't know, it just feels so natural now. And it's just, I just it, it feels really, really good. So now, unfortunately, I have to go buy myself one of those and... and- Basically, the whole family is going to need a, need a new one. So that explains why sales of iPad Pros are up. It's it's all related to your family. I think so. I think so. That's at least four, and then the grandmas, you know, they're they're going to want one too. But we started with, we started with Abby as a test bed, and she just she just won't put it down. <laughs> Ken, I remember very fondly um, Macworld. I, I would have to go back and think about what date it was, but it was it was the Macworld right after the iPad was introduced, but it was it was not yet available uh, in the Omni Group booth. You guys were creating mockups of the iPad from cardboard and styrofoam and whatever it is you had already very proactively thinking about moving all of your apps over to iPad. So you've had a very 
iPad-based focus from the beginning and have transitioned all of your apps over to iPad, and they are very, very functional apps. Um, what, what are, obviously, you're all in on iPad development. Have your thoughts on that evolved at all recently? Uh, no, I'm just excited to see how the platform continues to grow and evolve, right? There's some things that, that we were able to do on our own and and obviously we have um we've been working on that all along and then uh it's great to see apple um contribute things uh fundamental changes like multitasking a few years ago or the apple pencil or uh now in uh with this release the dragon drops from the files app and uh, and the siri apis that we can finally use for probably focus so, or, so yeah it's um it's great to see the platform continue to grow the way we've always hoped. It's interesting because Apple has just released a bunch of advertisements. I guess I'd call them infotisements where they're showing uh, videos just like when they first released the iPhone. They're showing videos of how to use drag and drop and how to use multiple screens on iOS 11. And it's not even out yet. And to me, that's an indicator that Apple is going to be putting the, the pedal down on trying to get public awareness of these features out there which can only be good for you guys. I mean, I feel like uh, productivity app makers, the more people feel like they can do with these these things, the more likely they are to buy your apps. Greg, um, you know, you guys have had iPad support with PDF Pen for a long time. Obviously, Text Expander also works on the iPad, but, you know, the PDF Pen on the iPad is really revolutionized, I think, the way that a, that a lot of us work. Um, what do you think about how, um, you know, the iPad has continued to evolve? I think we're super excited to see a case where, uh, you know, Apple's doing a lot for demand generation, uh, really. I mean, I think that they're listening to what productivity app users want, need, uh, have to have on the device, and they're building amazing devices. So I think that they're firing on all cylinders. I'm very, very excited to see how things go uh, this fall, this winter coming. I can't help but feel one of the best things that happened to the iPad was declining sales for several years, you know, because... Well, it had such a weird demand graph. Like, you know, it, it got introduced, then, you know, sales skyrocketed almost beyond belief. And it, you know, it was something that was not sustainable. Um, and then every comparison in the year following that was to the prior year that were crazy high. And so then, of course, the iPad is dying, Apple is dying, etc. Uh, but, you know, now it seems like maybe maybe we've finally achieved some felt level of even keel and solid growth. And the nice combination of even keel and solid growth is probably much healthier for everyone involved. Yeah, but I also feel that the fact that they, they were struggling or, or trying to figure it out for a while is the reason why we're getting some of these great new features that are going to make the device even more useful for us. I mean, it's, I, if they were just, you know, gangbusters from the beginning, I expect we may not be seeing drag and drop and some of these things that we've all been wanting. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you in part by Fracture. You can learn more by visiting FractureMe.com slash podcast. And don't forget to mention Mac Power Users in their one question survey. So Fracture is the photo decor company that is set out to rescue all of your favorite images from the digital ether. Now, you know, we take these images on our phones, we have more photos than ever, but yet it seems like we're doing less and less with them. What Fracture will do is it will take your images and will print them directly onto glass and use a laser cut rigid backing so they are ready to display right out of the box. They even include the little wall anchor. So you just upload your photos, pick a size, and you are ready to go. 
The fracture process is amazing. I've actually had an opportunity to tour their factory and see this in person. They make the color and contrast of your photo really pop, and their sleek, frameless design lets your photos stand out while matching any decorating style. So you can bring a special memory to life. You can give it as a unique gift. You can decorate your home. And businesses love using fracture prints. You can use them as signage. You can use them as corporate gifts or awards. You can use them just to decorate your workspace. I tell you, I've got a bunch of fracture prints in my office, and I've even taken my company logo and printed it on a fracture print and put it right outside my door on the interior of our office uh, to use as a, a little sign plaque. And I get so many compliments on my fracture prints within my office. Each fracture comes with a 60-day happiness guarantee, so you're sure to love your order, and they are handmade in Gainesville, Florida from U.S. sourced materials in their carbon-neutral factory. So for more information, head over to FractureMe.com slash podcast. That's the word podcast. And don't forget to click on Mac Power Users and their one-question survey that helps support the show and helps them keep coming back. And again, that's FractureMe.com slash podcast. Thanks to Fracture for your kind support of Mac power users. Well, gang, we've been talking about the iPad for the last 45 minutes or so. Um, I think it's probably time that we we move on to the Mac because you all, I think, started out as Mac developers, except for Ken, who started out as a Next developer. Um, and um, so let's let's talk a little bit about the state of the Mac these days. Um, is you know the Apple seems to have neglected the Mac for a little while, and then the last maybe a year or so, they, they've come back with a little bit of a vengeance, and I'm very pleased to see them paying more attention to the Mac. Um, what are your thoughts on on the new High Sierra beta? Is is it just kind of a, a refresh that there's not much in there? Is there anything in there that gets you excited? Uh, Ken, we'll start with you. Well, from, I guess it depends on what point of view you're asking the question from. It's, uh, I've been living on the uh, on the High Sierra beta since in WWDC, uh, since I was able to get it installed. And, uh, and I really like the new file system. Uh, you know, that's one of the things that, uh, that I think is great. And I think as a developer, it's useful, although it's mostly invisible behind the scenes. Uh, you know, it, it just makes things like snapshotting a version of a document that much faster. Um, but, uh, but I think that's the sort of, uh, the place w that we're at on the Mac at the moment where the platform is relatively mature and, and we can use some of these, um, fundamental changes to things like the file system as, as our growth. I love that the Apple, you know, kind of took the approach that look, we can't we can't turn it upside down because we've already got the thing pretty refined. But what if we just make every app better with a file system that was more stable and faster, and all of the app developers just kind of get the benefit of that? Yeah, and so far the only app of ours that uh, that needed any serious work for High Sierra was uh, was actually Omni Disk Sweeper, our free utility that it, it needed to learn how to recognize the new file system. Huh. But <laughs> yeah. I, I am so glad to hear that you gave it an update and gave it some love because I, I, I use that app quite regularly. Um, Greg, what are your thoughts on on High Sierra? Is there is there anything under the hood that really excites you? Or Well, I think, again, it sort of depends on perspective. Uh, we're excited about High Sierra in part because it would be what I would call a minimal homework release. And so, you know, it, it's one of when Apple releases things at WWDC, uh, they sort of fall into a couple of different categories. Uh, some are the things that come more or less free of charge. So I guess unless you're Omni Disk Sweeper, you get 
the new Apple file system more or less free of charge, and that's great. Um, and other things come with extraordinary expense. Uh, for example, the interface redesign in iOS 7 came with extraordinary expense. Um, and so this year, High Sierra came and we get goodies, but not so much homework, which is really fun and really fantastic. And uh, one thing that, that is coming in High Sierra uh, is a, a significant update to Safari. And uh, what, what I've been doing is I've been running the Safari uh, technology preview uh, not not on High Sierra, and then running Safari on High Sierra. And for those who don't have that, that's really, really exciting. And I think Safari is going to feel like a faster, more polished, better animal. Just talk, just on that point with Safari at WWC, there, you know, there's a lot of Apple developers wandering on WWC, and there's a couple guys I know on the Safari team, and and they have taken it personally, this idea that Safari is somehow second tier to Chrome. And I, I, you know, these guys are working really hard on Safari. If you haven't used it lately, I think after this new version comes out, you may want to give it a shot because it, it really is quite a bit better. Dave, I'm, I'm guessing you probably had some some homework, as Greg calls it, um, after the High Sierra beta released because there were so many changes in Safari. Um, were any of those helpful to you? What, what are your general thoughts going into High Sierra? Well, surprisingly, our, our homework was relatively small. Um, there, there's certainly some new goodies in Safari there. Um, not, not much that I'm going to really dive into, to be honest. Um, but um, just going back to the file system just for a second, I, I don't, you know, Dave, Dave set up the show by, you know, reminding us how long we've been around, right? And the, the Apple file system, you know, I, it's not quite this much of a jump, I don't think. But um, if you guys all remember back when SSDs were introduced, right? Like beforehand, you would like click the dock, click the icon on the dock, and it would bounce at least three or four times before anything would happen, right? And just just watching um, just watching the demo at WWC of like duplicating files and stuff like that, like it was basically the same as when you switch over to SSDs because as soon as you click on that dock icon, there's like one bounce and it was already launched, right? Um, but in terms of what has me excited there, it, it actually is about Safari. It's, it's that all that new anti-tracking stuff that they're doing there. And, you know, <laughs> this actually happens to me quite a bit. Um, it, it's usually Sarah. Sometimes it's my mom, but it's usually my wife, Sarah. And, and she'll be just like, well, I was like researching this thing online. And then all of a sudden I went to this other site and they're basically advertising me the same thing. Like what, what gives, how, how do they do that? Right. And um, of course there's, there's the, you know, websites have gotten really good at tracking you from, from one place to another. So I'm, I'm really excited to see how well Apple's able to control that. I actually think there's going to be limits on what they're able to do. Um, because at the end of the day, if you're going to a certain website, they, they they can they can do more or less what they want, you know, in terms of sharing your data. But you know, I, I'm a I'm a huge privacy guy, and anything I see, like obviously that's why I'm an Apple guy too, right? Um, but you know, anytime I see Apple like doubling down on privacy, I just I get super excited. Well, you know, on that privacy question, uh, Apple has stated publicly and and also with not only words but their actions that. They are trying to develop a modern operating system that will respect users' privacy. But also, you know, users do want the advantages of um, modern operating systems and artificial intelligence. And, you know, we want to be able to open our Photos app and say, show me pictures of people with hats and see those pictures. Um, 
but Apple's trying to walk the line of, of both protecting privacy and give you those features. Um, if you were to score Apple, um, you know, how do you see their success at, at pulling that off? Uh, starting with you, uh, Greg. And their success at pulling off. I'm sorry, I didn't quite follow. Yeah, you know, bringing like cloud features to users without exposing user data. Do you think that's something they can do? Yes, I do. And I mean, I think that, that that's something that they're already actively doing in their push in differential privacy. And what do you think about that, Ken? Do you, do you, I mean, have you been paying uh, close attention to that or is that something on your radar? Well, privacy is certainly big on my radar. And I, um, you know, I have a lot of confidence in the, there are a lot of smart people on the team at Apple uh, to do what they can without um, sacrificing privacy. And I'm glad that they're taking the approach they are, where um, instead of saying, hey, we want these features at any cost, they're saying, we want these features, but we also want to make sure that our customers' data uh, and customers' privacy is, isn't compromised in the process. Um, I think that's, uh, that's an important priority to maintain, and I'm glad they're doing it. When, when I attended the, the talk show, did an interview with um, Craig Federighi uh, this year at WWC, and at some point, John asked him, um, you know, can you guys protect privacy and still give us, you know, cool, sexy new features? I don't remember exactly how they asked the question, but it was interesting because Craig Frederick is a friendly guy. He's always smiling and happy. He's just, he seems like somebody would be really fun to have dinner with. Uh, but the, um, uh, when he got asked that question, he was deadpan. I mean, he was deadly serious when he answered the question. He says, absolutely, we can do this. And that gave me a lot of confidence in, in where Apple's going with this stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I, I look forward to seeing, you know, what they do next. What do you think is going to happen with with Mac OS going forward? I mean, we all kind of agree that it's it's in pretty good shape. I mean, we don't want them to just turn everything upside down now. Um, uh, you know, what do you see in times evolution of this operating system in the next two or three years, Dave? I mean, where do you see this thing going? Well... Who am I to tell Apple what to do, right? No, but, if, you, um, if you were in charge. <laughs> I think I'd be panicked to be in charge with the number of teams they have. But anyways, from my very selfish point of view, um, I would really love to see something akin to app extensions from iOS to bring come over to the Mac side. Um, just it... You know, allowing apps to call out to other apps and 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 interact with them. You know, with a with a defined framework and and in our in our case, like in a very secure way. Um, you know, I, I think it would be super super handy for us. We, we would really like that. Um, you know, as it stands, you, you kind of like, developers are kind of forced to to create their own. Like in terms in terms like from our point of view, anyways, for for like from the security aspect. We're kind of forced to, to roll our own if, if we wanted to be able to call out to another app or have another app call us and ask for a password and be able to give it back to them. And so I, I keep on hoping that a lot of the iOS, like that iOS feature in particular, will make its way over to, to the Mac side. Greg, any features on the Mac that, that you'd like to see soon? Well, I guess in my sort of dream scenario, I would love to see whatever automation comes to iOS have an analog on the Mac. Uh, ha I mean, I realize they're not going to happen in lockstep, but I think that it would be neat if they co-evolved um, and if it were nearly as straightforward to automate something on the Mac as on iOS um, and perhaps even interchangeably among the two. 
Yeah, that would be great if you could if you could create an automation recipe on one device and it worked on the other platform. Workflow for Mac. I see it coming. No. Well, it kind of it kind of exists. It's yeah, it's called automator. automator. But yeah, but yeah, the uh, but yeah, just the idea of only having to do the work once would sure be nice. Ken, what are your thoughts on the future of Mac OS? Where would you like to see? Oh, I, you know, if I really start to get, um, it it would be nice if we had some unification around the uh, the SDKs between Mac and iOS in terms of, you know, some of the APIs are necessarily different, and that's fine. You know, things around Windows and so on, but some of the APIs are are sort of just arbitrarily different. Like um, there's a uh, Bezier path class on uh, on iOS, it's UI Bezier path, and on uh, Mac, it's NS Bezier path, and you know they they behave mostly the same way. But it makes it you know that much harder to write your code when things are just slightly different from one to the other. Yeah, and you know that that's something developers have been talking about for a long time, and I I do think that if they did that, uh, there'd be a lot of iOS developers that wouldn't be so afraid to try to make a Mac app because they could apply that knowledge across both platforms. Yeah, but that said, you know. I'm, I'm pretty excited about some of the things that they have been working on with uh, improving metal and bring, and they have, you know, with a lot of their newer frameworks, actually, they have been bringing them over a lot more quickly. So metal two, for example, is coming to, um, to Mac in, uh, in high Sierra here. Uh, and so I'm looking forward to VR and so on as they, as that comes along at per, on a personal level. Yeah. We haven't even talked about AR today. I don't know if we'll have time, but man, that's something I'd love to hear about your guys' thoughts on Thea. But, I do think that like Swift and everything, it seems to me like Apple is heading towards kind of a, a single way to do this stuff, but, but it, it's gotta be hard. I mean, there's so many years of legacy code in the Mac and iOS got to kind of be grown, you know, anew. I don't, I don't, I can only imagine how much work it would be to make those platforms have the same APIs across the board. One thing that I love that Apple's been doing lately, though, like for a good, what, three years now, like every new OS runs on basically all the old hardware, right? So like like we're, we're actively working on 1Password 7 and we want to know what, what like APIs we can use in these types of things, right? And, you know, we don't have to be fearful about just requiring like High Sierra, right? It's just, you know, basically everyone can upgrade. It's free, right? It, it wasn't that wasn't that long ago that, you know, people had to go and buy their you know, version upgrade so that like a lot of customers would be beating down our door saying, look, I, I need, need you to make it work with this older operating system. Right. And it's just like, it was kind of a, it was throwaway time, right. Cause you would, you know, you're basically spending a lot of time going to write something for an older OS and testing it and all these things. And basically Apple's done a really good job of making that almost a thing of the past. But Dave, you got to stand in line and get a t-shirt. I was going to say, I washed my car with a Tiger t-shirt a few weeks ago. <laughs> That's a classic. You could have sold that. Yeah. There's there's always kind of been this thought of, you know, one day will iOS apps just be able to run natively on the Mac? And, you know, we certainly haven't approached that day yet, but it would certainly open up the app ecosystem dramatically for the Mac if if that were to come to pass. Do, do you think that's coming in the future? For for me, for me, I um I've actually been dreaming of that since uh basically iOS was released. And 
And so like every WWDC, I would be like, okay, this is the year. This is the year. I I stopped doing that about two years ago and I don't really think about it anymore. I think, I think there's just, there's so much work to be done there. I, I, I don't know. I think it's more likely that a new type of Mac would be released rather than that. Yeah, I feel like, well, having used our apps a lot in the simulator, it's, I don't think it would really be the best user experience to just bring um, iOS apps over to um, to the Mac platform where now you you don't have multi-touch available. The uh, um, it, it makes the interactions a bit more awkward. Um, they're, they really are, each of the apps are designed, or I should say, our apps at least are designed for uh, for the target platform. On the Mac, you have a much more precise pointing device. On iOS, uh, you know, you have your finger, which is um, touching probably 20 pixels at once. And um, now we do have the Apple Pencil as well, but we know it's not something you want to require unless you're doing a drawing app or something, right? Um, uh, but if you're trying to do something like the drag and drop that um, that is just now being added to iOS, uh, it's really important to be able to use more than one finger at a time because you start a drag and then while you're holding that down with one hand, you know, you might hit the home button with your other hand and, and go pick another app and, and do something else. So you're sitting here holding this one finger in place while you're doing a bunch of work with another finger. We don't have anything like that on the Mac with, uh, with more than one mouse pointer. Um, so in the simulator, you have to kind of simulate that by pressing some special keys that will then lock the mouse pointer in place as if you've left a finger there and then you go work with the mouse somewhere else and then you come back and try to pick it up. And it's, um, not something I would wish on any of our customers. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. So I'm envisioning this future where I can run an, an iOS app on my Mac, but I need four mice. Right. But <laughs> it feels so natural. Yeah, I got two hands and two feet. <laughs> <laughs> but that interaction feels great and really natural on iOS so that, you know, it's not that it, it was badly designed or anything. It's just designed for, uh, fingers on a touchscreen as opposed to a uh, mouse and keyboard and a, a nice big window um, display. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by SaneBox. Go to SaneBox.com MPU and receive $25 credit on any plan and tame your inbox today. Email is simultaneously super useful and super annoying. If you want to deal with your email responsibly, you need a lot of help, and you're going to get that help from SaneBox. I like to think about SaneBox as my personal assistant for email. SaneBox reviews my inbox for me and auto-sorts my email to the folders that they belong to. It protects me from unwanted email, which I put into the black hole. It can even snooze email, so I can tell it to hold an email till next Monday, and then it disappears, and then my SaneBox email assistant reminds me next Monday. But perhaps my favorite feature about SaneBox is SaneBox Reminders. Here's something we all deal with every day. You get an email from somebody, they ask you a question, you answer it, you kick the ball back into their court. Now, how are you going to remember to follow up on that? One of the best ways I've discovered is SaneBox Reminders. With SaneBox Reminders, when you reply to that email, you just blind copy it to SaneBox.com with a certain amount of time, like one week at SaneBox.com. Now, when you do that, SaneBox is going to see that come in and it's going to make a note of it that you said one week. So in one week, if you don't get a reply from the person you sent an email to, SaneBox sends you a reminder. So think about that. My assistant now is remembering 
every email I sent that needs a reply and telling me when the other person doesn't reply. This is a feature that can kind of sneak up on you because SaneBox does so many other things you don't think about it. But if you start putting SaneBox reminders into place, you will be shocked how useful it is. In my day job, I deal with a lot of email and it's really easy to forget to follow up with somebody. Well, that's not true with SaneBox reminders. With SaneBox reminders, I always remember. It's spooky how productive I can be that way. So that's one of my secret weapons, SaneBox. And that can become your secret weapon too. Just head over to SaneBox.com slash MPU. You get $25 off any plan. And you can be just like me and have your own personal email assistant. So, um, you know, an interesting question that came to me while we were talking about all this, uh, this hardware and, and moving platforms is, you know, the Mac uh, is starting to evolve. Apple has an iMac Pro. Uh, we have a rumored new Mac Pro down the road. Something I've been thinking about lately is because of the efficiency of these Intel chips that they're starting to come out with, I feel like uh, Apple's in a position to get very creative with what a Mac is in terms of hardware, if they want. Uh, do you guys have any thoughts about kind of the future of Mac hardware? Uh, for instance, Greg, I mean, what, what are your thoughts about where they're going to go with this stuff? Wow. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I hate to think that I completely lack imagination, but I, I just don't know. Um, I mean, I think that uh, I didn't really see the touch bar coming. Um, and I think it's been kind of interesting. Um, you know, it's a device that is optional to some machines and that you can't, can't rely on. So it sort of is an interesting area for a developer. Um, I don't know whether they're going to do more of that. Uh, in a way, I rather hope not. Uh, you know, I kind of hope that whatever else it is that they do is commonly accessible across the universe of Mac hardware. What, what about you, Dave? Um, I mean, Dave is, for the listeners, I want to say Dave is one of the worst enablers in the world. Every time they come out with a new Mac, if I get an email from Dave, it's usually like, are you going to get it? And then he like makes me feel like I should get it. And and then I like to blame Dave when I get it. So so, so I, that started the first time we met on the floor of Macworld, by the way. That very first time we met, you were telling me to buy a Mac. Yeah. But uh, you're so, welcome. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any uh, any hopes or any you know, kind of pie in the sky thoughts for the future of where Mac hardware goes? So it's that old age old question of, of touchscreen on Mac, right? So um, our CEO actually, uh, Jeff, he actually keeps on every year. He's like, "This is the year I'm getting my touchscreen Mac," right? And I keep on telling him that that'd just be terrible. Like you'd have all these smudge prints all over your Mac all the time. And you'd be constantly cleaning it, right? And so I, I believed I was right for quite a while. And I was in the uh, I was in the doctor's office there not too long ago, and she had this brand new um, you know uh, touchscreen uh, win Windows um, laptop. And, uh, you know, she would be using the keyboard. Then all of a sudden she's touching the screen and stuff. And I don't know, I started to get a little bit jealous. So I was like, that's actually kind of cool. And, you know, so I'm looking for smudges and they weren't that bad. So I was like, I don't know, maybe this, maybe this would work. And, and, you know, that's how I, like, it's just my own thought, but that's how I see Apple eventually with any luck going to like an iOS, uh, base for, for Mac is basically they'll come up with a new Mac that's, you know, has touchscreen and it will be an iOS, you know, under, under the covers, everything will be iOS. And there'll be some sort of like, you know, 
some sort of bridge of some sort that will allow you to run your other apps, um, not non-touchscreen enabled ones, like my current apps, on this new device. And of course, there'll be limitations and stuff, but basically... I, I, I see that's where it's going. But um, again, I, I can't quite get past the feeling of touching my screen and then leaving a smudge and then trying to work with that smudge there. I think, um, I, I don't know, the jury's out on that one. What, what about, uh, Ken, what do you think about this iMac Pro and the whole idea of Apple really scaling thing up on the upper end of computing? Well, I I love seeing Apple scale up on the upper end of computing, you know, especially as a uh, as a gamer in my personal life, right? That um, that it uh, disappointed me that this year uh, I finally felt like I had to break down and buy a Windows PC, uh, a dedicated Windows PC box to do some of the VR gaming and so on. That uh, in the past I had always just uh, dual booted my Mac into Windows, and you know, at least since uh, since Macs went intel based right um i just booted into windows and played my games and then booted back when i wanted to do some work um and that no longer um no longer made sense when the uh when the graphics chips in the mac pro are as old as they are <laughs> so so that was actually one of the things i was really excited about with high sierra as well come to think of it you know was the external gpu support um and uh and i'm looking forward to um to that Mac Pro, Mac uh, iMac Pro, uh, but what I'm actually looking more forward to is, you know, whatever Apple does with a Mac Pro in the future, because I, um, the way I buy my uh, my high end computers, I really want a separate display and a separate um, a separate box that I'm going to replace a lot more often than I replace the display, uh, and particularly because some of the uh, Macs that I use, I want to run headless. So I'm really interested in, in the Mac Pro, um, you know, something that I would put in a server room where a display would just get in the way and take space that is unnecessary. Uh, and also interested in what they might eventually do again with the Mac Mini, because that is a great little server. Um, and I could imagine it being smaller and having even more, um, more of those little s servers in, in our server room. Greg, what about you? What's your what's your next Mac? My next Mac—that's a good question. Um, I mean, right now I'm running a MacBook Pro with the Touch Bar, um, and so you know, more than likely, that's going to last me another couple of years. Yeah, that's a nice machine. Uh, before we get off the topic of Mac completely, I want to talk a little bit about the Mac App Store. Um, and you each have products in the Mac App Store, at least. Um, some of you have taken products out of the Mac App Store. Some of you have kind of doubled down on the Mac Store App Store. So I want to kind of talk about uh, the state generally of the Mac App Store. So, um, you know, Greg, I, I, I think I want to start with you because uh, you still, as my understanding, you still sell PDF Pen through the Mac App Store. Text Expander used to be in there, but then you pulled it out because of some sandboxing requirements. What has been your experience generally with the Mac App Store? Uh, sure. So, I mean, definitely PDF Pen is in the Mac App Store. Um, it's our secondary sales channel for, by, for sure. Um, you know, we, we our primary sales channel for PDF Pen is direct sales to users through our own store. And uh, I think that the Mac App Store hasn't received the attention that the uh, iOS App Store has received. Um, I think that it's kind of on autopilot. Uh, there's no test light for the Mac App Store. The editorial is, you know, pretty uh, sort of clockwork. 
And so, you know, I think it's it's going to continue going as it does. Uh, but I think that uh, it's uh, you know, it's a it's a source of exposure to the products. In fact, it's interesting. One thing that we do is we ask the people who purchase directly from us, where did they hear about us? And a significant percentage of them say that they heard of us from the Mac App Store. So that's interesting. It's an advertising channel as much as it is a purchase channel. Yeah, I mean, we always recommend listeners buy the apps directly from the developers because I feel like that way you have a relationship with the person who made made the thing you're using. Yeah, we certainly like that. And then in terms of, of Tax Expander, uh, why that's not on the Mac App Store is fairly straightforward. Um, you know, Apple made a decision that they uh, will not allow for apps which filter keystrokes to be on the Mac App Store. So if you filter keystrokes at the system level, then you can't be on the Mac App Store. And that, that's a security decision, which which is, uh, I think, reasonable on their part, or at least one that was well within their purview to make. Um, Dave, what are what are your thoughts on the Mac App Store? I know one password is available through the Mac App Store or directly, but it seems like you're trying to push more people through to your direct sales channel these days. Um, is there been a shift there, and and if so, why? Yeah, we've we've had a rich history there. Um, first, let, let me jump way back. Like before, there was like when Mac App Store first came out, one uh, password was actually. Do you remember this, guys? Like way back when we were using like these symbol ex- extensions and things to go and like inject one password into like Safari and these different guys. And so, so when the Mac App Store first came out, we were like, that's really cool. We're never going to be there, right? Because like they would never approve such a thing. But you know, that's really, really cool. And so we actually, a, a, a great feat of engineering, right? We, we, transitioned over to uh to the new way of doing things that, that apple provided and then we were in the mac app store and we were we were number one, well i forget i forget how we were right you, you we were had a lot of success in, in the mac app store you were very highly ton featured of success ton of success and um at the time you know that we actually still have this we have this web store where you can go in and purchase it as well and you know it's 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 a pain to to manage this right you you have to even if you take take care of all the coding and server uptime and all that stuff and it's taken care of well now you have to worry about taxes and all this stuff as well right so it's just like when we when we got to the mac app store we were like we we were prepared and our plan was we're just going to go mac app store only because it's, it's going to make our lives so much easier and at the time mac app store just got introduced and we're like this is like version one. Like, just imagine how cool version two is going to be and version three is going to be. And um, as as Greg pointed out, you know, it didn't really um, evolve as 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 fast as we were expecting. And um, so we we slowly but surely kind of stepped away from that um, idea, and uh, we went back to to the web store. And um, you know, um, you know, it's for for a while there we had a fairly even split between the two. Um, now that Apple allows, well, so first of all, we, 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 we thought that we were actually going to be moving even farther away from the Mac app store because we were introducing one password for teams and one password families and, and the, um, and, and our, our, our subscriptions. And so we thought for, for a while there, we thought, okay, how's that even going to ever reconcile with, with the Mac app store? But, you know, thankfully Apple allows or um, change the rules for subscriptions in the App Store. And um, I think that was a really good change on Apple's part. I was, I was really excited to see that. It took us a while to take advantage of it. Um, I think it was 
what was it? Was it, uh, anyways, it took us a while to take advantage of it, but now you can go, go to the Mac app store or our website, download it, and you can, you know, subscribe in the app. And from a user's point of view, there's really not that big of a difference, right? It's, 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 it's really nice. So it's, we're, we're actually quite happy to allow, um, users to choose which one they want. Um, I suspect we're going to have a whole discussion here about upgrades. So <laughs> I might as well, I might as well touch on that to end my, to end, end, end my talk here. Um, of course, upgrades is where we do have the challenge. Uh, with, with the web store, um, it's, it's public knowledge. We're, we're actively working on 1Password 7. And when 1Password 7 is ready, we're actually not sure what we're going to do with it in the Mac app store. Um, <laughs> just as early as like, a few hours ago, literally, um, I was on the phone with uh, some of our top guys, basically arguing about the pros and cons of the different approaches. Um, you know, one is we have to just completely remove the the one app and add a new app, um, and that's that's a good approach in some ways. Um, but then, how do you like? We're, we're a security app, right? Like, what if there's a critical security fix that we need to release? How do we do that for the previous version that we remove from sale? Basically, the answer is we can't, right? So, so it's, it's there, there's there's a, a fair amount of challenges when it comes to upgrades. Um, again, thankfully, Apple's done a fairly good job of supporting older hardware with each new new OS update, and making it free helps as well. So, maybe it's not that that big of a deal to uh, to drop support for older operating systems and, and, and older versions. Um, I don't know. Time time's going to tell. Greg, I know you had something you wanted to say about the uh, the iOS 11 App Store compared to the the new Mac App Store. What are your thoughts there? Sure, I completely forgot that back while we were on iOS 11. But one of the great things on iOS 11 is the new App Store. So it's almost a, a contrast to draw here. Um, I mean, I think that the separation of apps and games is, uh, I mean, it's fantastic. Maybe overdue even. Um, and the new editorial and the new appearance and the effort and the just just the energy that's being put into that is really impressive. Uh, so you know, it, it, I feel like if we're flogging the the Mac App Store and probably deservedly so, we should at least also praise the iOS 11 App Store and what they're doing there. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you in part by Squarespace. Enter offer code MPU at checkout and get 10% off your first purchase. Make your next move with Squarespace. Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next idea. You can do it all from at Squarespace with a unique domain and award-winning templates and more. So maybe you want to create an online store. Maybe you want to create a portfolio. Maybe you want to create a blog. Squarespace is an all-in-one platform that lets you do just that. You don't have to worry about installing anything. There's no patches to worry about. There's no upgrades needed. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Squarespace has got you covered. And they have award-winning 24-7 customer support if you need any help. They let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. And all of those award-winning templates are beautifully designed to show off your greatest ideas. So I have been using Squarespace for a while to, for my own website, and I started building a few websites for a couple of organizations that I am a member of. 
And I kind of got this reputation as this person who can build amazing websites. And so more and more people were asking me to build websites with them. Well, it's just Squarespace. And what is even greatest of all is Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month. So all of the organizations that I'm a member of can afford Squarespace sites. In fact, in most instances, they're paying a lot less for a Squarespace site that looks a lot better than whatever they were using before. We're getting so many compliments now on our Squarespace sites. I wouldn't even consider looking anywhere else. So as I mentioned, Squarespace plans start at just $12 a month, and you can start a free trial with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com. And when you decide to sign up, use the offer code MPU, and that will get you 10% off your first purchase and show your support for Mac Power users. Thank you to Squarespace for their support. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. Ken, I have intentionally saved you for last on this topic because I know Omni has done a lot of work transitioning their apps over to, you know, use a different model that works very well with the Mac App Store so you can you know, download the app, use it as a viewer, get a get a free trial, um, and then decide whether you want to purchase the regular or the pro model. First off, can you talk a little bit about what you've done and explain how it works? And then then tell us how is that working for you? Sure. So, uh, you know, the Mac App Store, well, the App Store in general, both Mac and iOS, um, we've always seen it uh, um, as the equivalent of the old retail channel like it's a great way for to get visibility for our apps um to help people discover uh things as uh, as greg noted at the beginning you know we found that when we put um some of our apps up in the app store uh, the mac app store our direct sales increased so um you know uh, when omniplan went became available in the mac app store suddenly we found that omniplan sales on our direct site were <laughs> had gone up because uh people were finding it on the mac app store and then buying it from us because uh, you know we have better licensing options when you buy directly from us we, we can do volume licensing we can do trials and so on um but we didn't want to just um be satisfied with with where that was we you know kept thinking about the problem and how can we bring um all of the uh experience that we want customers to have around uh trialing our software around software updates you know upgrade discount pricing and so on uh to the mac app store and it wasn't actually possible at first because originally we didn't have um in-app purchases uh but over time, uh, in-app purchases were added, uh, and then we still had the problem that um, that we were charging for our downloads in the first place. So we couldn't offer free of trials. We couldn't offer um, really discounted versions of the initial app itself. Um, so that's the problem. What we've done now to solve that is we've made all of our apps uh, free downloads in the App Store on both uh, Mac and iOS. At least that's where we're headed. There are a couple apps that uh, that need their final update to get there, and uh, that means that people can download the app. They can check it out. Uh, we have a free trial option that uh, will unlock all of the functionality of the app for two weeks, and then after the trial, people can decide. Uh, you know, is that the app they're interested in? And at which point they use an in-app purchase to buy the app. Uh, if they had, if they already own a previous version of the app, we offer them a 50% discount on the uh, on that purchase. Uh, and if they had bought the previous version of the app, you know, within the last six months, then we offer the new version just for free because we think that if you had just recently bought 
OmniGraffle Pro for Mac for $200, uh, and suddenly we release the new version, OmniGraffle 7, you're going to be pretty frustrated if we're suddenly, if we're asking you for money again that quickly. So, uh, so we just give you that upgrade for free. And, um, and so what we have found, uh, of course, is our existing customers are, are really happy that we have found a way to, to bring our typical sales model. This is the model that we've always had on our direct store over to the, uh, to the Mac app store and the iOS app stores. Um, and we've found that, uh, a lot of people are now downloading our apps, uh, who, you know, they, they weren't able to before and, and trying that free trial. Um, and we're getting, um, so a free app getting downloaded, obviously we get a bunch of random people buying it who or downloading it, who didn't even realize that it was a paid app because it's, you know, one of the unfortunate things is that right now that means it's listed under free apps rather than, uh, under commercial apps. Um, so about 20, 80% of the people who download the app don't even bother starting the free trial. So clearly they weren't even in the market for, uh, for a paid app. But then once people do start the free trial, um, we find that a reasonably high percentage, like I would say, uh, approaching half will go ahead and continue to buy the app afterward. And that is uh, a really good deal for, um, for our apps in the app store. And we're, we're glad to finally be in that place. But the most important thing I think is, has been just our customers being happier that, now we have found a way to give them price protection, give them uh, upgrade discounts. Um, and uh, uh, the only downside so far has been that the in-app purchases um, that we're using on the App Store don't support um, the volume purchase program and don't support family sharing. So people who were... Yeah, so if uh, someone else in the family wants to get it, they're going to have to pay again. Yeah, and that that was not our intent, right? Uh, if you buy from us directly, we don't, uh, we don't make you buy it f again for other family members. So, uh, so we're thinking about how to work around that. And of course we filed a request with Apple to, um, to say, Hey, we've, we've, we have designated that our app should be eligible for family sharing. The only way that would make sense, you know, given that all of the purchases are in-app purchases is that those in-app purchases should be shared among the family for some reason. So, um, so I hope that at some point, and of course we've also filed something for the volume purchase program. So I'm hoping that, um, at some point the, uh, in-app purchases will be extended to work with family sharing and with the volume purchase program as well. I, um, you know, let's talk about just pricing and, and keeping a productivity app you know, keeping the lights on at a productivity app for a little bit. The, um, uh, on a, a few weeks ago on the show, we did a show on, on iOS utilities. I talked about one of my favorite little utilities is this app called text tool two. And it's an app that you can take text that, you know, needs carriage returns removed, or, you know, you get text that's messy. And this is a great app on iOS. It fixes the problem. I think I paid two bucks for it and I recommended it on the show that I even put a post up on it about at Max Sparky. And then today someone sent me a note on Twitter that the app is shut down and they sent me a link and the app developer wrote, you know, I've made $3,102 on this app and I can't do this. I got to go get a job, you know, in essence, or do something else. And, and this is a real concern because traditionally for productivity applications, which is the things we talk about most on this show, um, there was a real simple model. You made an app, you paid a price for it. And then every year the developer came out with an up upgrade and you paid a, you know, you paid some kind of upgrade fee and you kept up with the app, but, but that's not really happening anymore. Um, what, you know, Greg, what is your advice to an app developer that's trying to get into 
you know, the, the business of making productivity apps and how do they keep a viable business going? Um, I suppose it's a bit tricky and I think you, you have to price your product for its value. You have to believe that your product has value to someone. Um, and so, you know, I think there's been the biggest trend of pricing things at, you know, a dollar or $5 or something where, you know, pricing one's product unsustainably from the start. And I don't think you can do that. And I think you, know, you have three sort of examples on, on the program of, you know, people who, who charge for, we charge for our software um, and, you know, so, so does Omni and, and so does Agile. And this is because people actually use it, drive benefit from it, and they have to decide that it's of enough value to do that. Um, and, and those are, are the folks that we're, that we're after. And those are the folks who, um, I guess I could say who care in the productivity space for, for whom it matters, folks who know the value of their time and are willing to put some money behind that to save themselves time uh, or to make something work better or easier. Do you think the upgrade pricing model is ever going to come back? That's a great question. I mean, I think that what the Omni Group are doing now uh, looks like an excellent way to to make that model work and to make it work in the context of the Mac App Store. Um, I mean, in a way, I would I would say to Ken, has the has the upgrade model disappeared? Actually, is that a false premise? <laughs> yeah, I, I was just going to say that it hasn't disappeared at, uh, on our apps anyway. Yeah, that's true. You guys have kind of found a way, even though Apple really has never directly supported it and seems very uninterested in it at this point. And I mean, we're doing the the upgrade model with PDF Pen as well, and that seems sustainable there too. Now, now Dave, you have gone and done, um, you've gone both directions with some of this stuff. You you still have a standalone application, but you also have a subscription plan. Um, what's been your experience with that transition and and how is that working out for the company? That's uh, it's been very interesting to be honest. Um, first, uh, just let me touch on the upgrades in general. So, um, you, you, I forget the words you used. I should have wrote them down. But you just said like you know it's been a viable model. It's, it's been working quite well. I think is what you said. And upgrades do work quite well from from a financial point of view. But to be honest, they're they're quite painful, right? Like I remember when we had our upgrade to One Password Four, we had um, like our support queues were just overflowing for the longest time, um, and I, I that 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 trend, you know, I think I think all developers who do upgrades have this. Like I always thought maybe we're just doing something wrong, but I saw I saw things. Um, they they just had their their upgrade relatively recently. And they had a tweet about a week later or something like that, just saying, hey, you know, if you've contacted us for support, you know, <laughs> we're here, we're here, and we'll get to you as soon as we can type thing. And so, you you know, unfortunately, with with these with these upgrades, you, you, really, you really force, like, all your users to like, kind of all jump in the water at once, and they cause this big splash, and you're not really able to take care of them, right? If there's, if there's any problems whatsoever, it's just like, it's really difficult to, to help them. And that was actually such a traumatic experience for us that uh, we made 1Password 5 a free update. We made 1Password 6 a free update. And we almost made 1Password 7 a free update before my wife, who's the uh, financial officer, um, basically said, no, enough is enough. You know, she, she almost killed us for, for making the last two free. And she said, no, I basically I quit if you do that. So, you know, it's 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 
quite challenging to do these upgrades. And when you do actually do the upgrade, you know, um, from, from, from a web store, it's not as hard because you kind of have control of the updates. But from the Mac app store, you're, you're really behind the eight ball because what do you do? Do you delete your existing app and add a new one? Um, do you put both apps into one so that you don't lose your reviews and all this type of stuff? Um, if, if you do that, what do you do when, when, you know, a new version of OS like Mac OS comes out and you know, there's new, new Swift libraries, like there's all this stuff. And, and now you got to go make it work with like some really old stuff. It's, it's really quite challenging. And, um, you, uh, you probably saw it, but, um, uh, Max, I can't really pronounce his last name, but, but Max at uh, Ulysses, Ulysses just recently switched to subscriptions. And uh, he had an excellent blog post uh, that just talked about, you know, the, the challenges with, with upgrades and how, you know, you can't really plan your, your future in these types of things. I, I bring it up because it's actually the blog post I wanted to write, um, but I, I actually chose not to because with, with 1Password, um, we didn't just introduce subscriptions just f for, you know, for, for a different uh, revenue model, right? Like that, there's a lot of benefits to subscriptions, but, you know, there's a lot of additional benefits that we can bring, especially to teams and families. And so I, I wrote a different type of blog post, just kind of focus more, more on those features. But Max's blog post, basically, when, when you're done reading it, you're like, okay, if I'm starting a new app today, I'm, I'm going to go subscription only. Like, it's just like, it just, it, it, it fits the model re really, really well. And at the risk of, of hogging the mic, um, we, we would like to do the same thing. Uh, we, we think subscriptions are the way to go. It, it makes so many things much easier. Um, like for one thing, you have a relationship with your, with your customer, like you, you know, their email address and stuff, and you can email them if, if you need them uh, to talk to them and th these types of things. Um, but there's this huge religious argument out there. So basically we've decided to, I, I'm not, I'm not a big religious type. So I, I try to avoid religious arguments whenever I can. And so we're basically just doing both. We're supporting licenses standalone licenses at the same time that we're sub supporting subscriptions. And we're going to do our best to woo our customers over to the, to the membership side of the world, um, with each update, like, you know. When there's a feature that works really well with the memberships, but doesn't make sense for the standalones, we're going to go ahead and implement it. Even though, even though the product will diverge slightly, we're, we're, we're going to go ahead and do that anyways, because we, we believe that this is the best way to use it. Sorry to hog the mic there. No, no, no. That was super useful because that is interesting. You guys are, are, are doing both. And, and Greg, you guys, with one of your products, you, you went to subscription and uh, probably still have the scars to show for it. Um. <laughs> Maybe a little bit. I mean, I, th I think it's interesting. The question you asked at the outset of this was, what's the best model for a new developer? Um, and the answer is going to be, it's the best model for that developer. And be, any of us here would be hard-pressed to pick that. Uh, but the interesting thing is that all of us here have somewhat different models. Um, and so uh, may maybe that's the, the fun part would be exploring the models that we do have. Um, and sure, uh, so for Tax Expander, uh, back in April of 2016, we switched to uh, a subscription model only. Um, and uh, we, we didn't do a very good job of communicating to our existing customers the length of their lifetime discount that we had intended to apply to them. Um, and so we, we 
uh, you know, we, we definitely have the scars from that, but I think that, you know, we, we managed to come back at them about two weeks later and clarify that. And, uh, you know, we, we've been going strong since then. So that's a case where we have a backend server um, and cloud service that we're using, where we also deployed an additional platform, uh, i.e. Windows, and uh, decided that that was just really a better model for that product, where we could provide updates as they're ready uh, across multiple platforms and not attempt to package everything into a big piece, um, and where we could provide the kind of value on an ongoing basis that someone might well be willing to pay for, because we could demonstrate to them how many hours that they save or that their team saves. Yeah, one of the things I like about the thing all three of you have done is uh, one of the significant problems I had with the App Store uh, when telling a friend about one of these apps that you made or some other developer made was uh, for the longest time, the only way in the door was a significant investment. I mean, most good productivity apps cost real money because that's that's why they're good, because they've been in business for a while and they can continue to develop. And it's really hard for people to say, I'm going to put 50 or or $100 into something I've never used before. And it's interesting to me that all three of you have found different ways um, to make your app available to users who want to kick the tires, whether it's just a short-term subscription or it's the, the, the in essence, trial mode that Omni has now. Um, and I, I think that's something that, that speaks well for the future of this stuff. I mean, do you guys feel like you've turned the corner on some of this stuff in terms of getting access to new users without a massive investment? Ken, I mean, I guess, what's your thought on that? Traditionally, the only way for customers, potential customers to go try our iPad apps uh, would were for them to go visit the local Apple store where fortunately, you know, Apple had um, had pre-installed some of our apps and they could go uh, kick the tires there and in person. But we never knew from one month to another whether it would still be on there. Um, and that was obviously it at Apple's discretion as to whether or not it was going to still remain there. And it's pretty inconvenient for people to go down there and, and try it and, and they still only get to try it maybe for 20 minutes at, at most right well you're standing there in a store um it, it's a big difference now that that they can just go download it themselves and and figure out is this the right app for me and is it something worth investing um you know and ten dollars to three hundred dollars for omniplan pro um yeah I think it was a it was a big box. I think it was a Comp USA that I bought. I think Omni Outliner version one. I remember the box though. I vividly <laughs> remember buying that box. Yeah, I I do not really miss the uh, the box era of uh, of distributing all those boxes and so on. But um, but it was kind of fun printing those. You know, designing and 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 having something tangible and physical to bring home for the money that you just spent on on what you were buying. I know this pricing stuff is hard now and everybody's trying to figure out the answers to it, but it seems to me also one of the answers is just make a really good app, you know, and, and, um, and then work with your customers to figure out. I, I, uh, one of the things I like about having the three of you is that you've all found different ways to, to try and make it work. And it seems like it's working for all three of you. I certainly like to think so. I know that there's room for, for more than one way of doing things. Um, I, I have some, I don't know whether uh, this is the right time to go into uh, my thoughts on subscription model, Um, but uh, I have a a bias, I guess, from my long history of computing against the subscription model, not because um, it doesn't work while it's working, but because I really believe in, uh, in 
keeping software working for a long time. So I still have, for example, soft, you know, next step software that I am able to launch and run today. But if all of that next step software had been purchased under some sort of subscription model, um, you know, none of those vendors are still in business and they wouldn't want to be in business. They wouldn't want to be offering subscriptions. They would have canceled those things long ago. And I wouldn't be able to use that thing at all anymore. So all of, all of that software would, would now be completely useless. Whereas right now, because I purchased it and because it didn't have any ongoing costs, um, you know, I can go ahead and install it and continue to use it. And that's part of the reason that we built our own uh, syncing services so that people could self-host their syncing server. And if, you know, at some point, 20 years down the road, iCloud no longer exists, people could still sync their documents uh, to their own self-hosted thing. Um, but that is kind of a geek reason to, <laughs> to prefer it. And, and, uh, and I don't, you know, begrudge people choosing other models and having reasons to prefer other models. Well, it is interesting because the world has changed so much now that software isn't just something you install on your computer out of a box. It So often there's a web component to it that has real costs and development, um, you know, uh, resources attached to it. So so Ken, Ken is one of the reasons, like one of the people that make me happy to continue to offer licenses um, because it's up to me to kind of win him over. Um, I, I can't remember the specifics, but like, I remember, um, I think it was, um, when you introduced Omni, Omni plan pro, I think, and it was in the Mac app store and, um, you know, it was very expensive, right? You had to buy it right off the hop. You couldn't even use it. No, no trial. Right. And so, um, someone was in your forums complaining about that, just saying like, how, how can I ever do this? And you went there and you, you, you explained to them that, okay, well, this kind of like technical limitations here, but you know what? It's actually up to me to prove it to you that, you know, it's, it's worth the investment. Right. And I, you know, I really took that to heart and I've, I've lived with that for years. I, I I think I think it was an excellent answer, and so that's that's what we're doing with with our subscriptions. Is we we believe it's the best way to go. We think it's 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 it's, it's by far by far the best way to go. Um, but not everyone's convinced yet, and it's up to us to convince them, right? Um, I, I think I think um, Ken's um, argument is uh, is is noble. Um, I, I used to do the same thing. Like I'm actually looking at my 17 inch MacBook Pro from. Lord only knows when when I bought that, but the you know, lunch tray. Uh, <laughs> it's it was such a good machine. I love this machine. Um, I don't know what to do with it, right? And I don't even I don't launch it at all. Um, so so certainly I, I love the nostalgia as, as much as the next person. Um, but but really, it's up to developers to prove that their subscriptions are the right way to go and and to um, get people excited about about joining them. We you know. Uh, we, we have users every day telling us thank you so much. Like they're really excited about it. Um, we also have users on the other side saying, you know, you can take this my license from my cold dead hands. Um, and we just yeah, every day we just have to be there and and and, exp and and demonstrate the benefits. Well, you guys are certainly at the front end of this, and uh, and uh, I appreciate you sharing that with us. All right, so probably um, about time for us to wrap this up here, but I, I do want to end with uh, just two questions, and, and we'll go round round robin on this. Um, the first is if you could briefly share with us all, what is your current setup that is both Mac and iOS? Because we we all like to geek out and know what kind of hardware and software uh, hardware other people are using. So, uh, Ken, I'll start with you. Oh, goodness. Uh, so... 
my primary um, development device obviously has to be a Mac because that's the only place I can run Xcode. So uh, what I have is a MacBook Pro with, uh, you know, the new Touch Bar uh, edition. And uh, I don't actually use the, the Touch Bar because I always keep that closed and I just plug it into a display. And unless I'm on the road, I'm plugging it into a display either at home or at work. Uh, and uh, that display then has um, a keyboard and uh, mouse or trackpad attached. Um, at home, I also have uh, uh, a Mac Pro, you know, one of the uh, uh, cylindrical models from a few years back, uh, which uh, seems to be as up-to-date as anything you can get for it right now. Um, and uh, I tend to use that one more when, uh, when I'm at home because I can because it has more cores, so it can, can build uh, my software faster. Um, along with that, I carry, uh, of course, I have uh, an iPhone that I carry around, uh, and I every size of iPad, uh, but the one that I primarily use right now is the 10.5-inch, uh, and I bring that with me to every meeting um, and take notes on it. Uh, it's been uh, really great. Do you take notes with the pencil or the keyboard? With the pencil. Uh, I use GoodNotes for that. All right. Yeah, that's really, it's pretty nice with that new one. How about you, Greg? What software, I mean, sorry, what, what hardware are you using these days? Uh, sure. So I should preface it with that Smile is a distributed company. And so uh, we all work from home. Um, and so my my home office is my setup. I have a uh MacBook Pro with the touch bar, uh, 15 inch, and that is my primary machine. Um, I do my, my development, pretty much everything on that. I have the previous MacBook Pro that I had, and don't quote me, like, I don't know, a couple, three years back, Retina MacBook Pro attached to a monitor, and that is my test machine, because that machine is capable of running uh, macOS back to at least Yosemite, which allows me to run anything that we currently ship. Um, and then uh, I have a an older iPad Mini, and I am covetous of the ten and a half inch iPad. <laughs> just don't, just don't look at one. That's all I say. <laughs> I, I already have. It's it's oh, pretty no. much on. Oh, it's, no. it's on the list now. It's just there's gotta, no hope for you. Got to get up to the top of that list at some point. <laughs> Dave's yeah, got Dave's got a couple. He can lend you. It's fine. Oh, <laughs> I've, yes, cool. I've got the uh, I've got the old third. I've got the old big one i've got the new small small one i i haven't but boy it's nice and dave how about you well i um have a slight sad story because i used to have like just what just a few months ago i i bought the new macbook pro with the the touch bar and everything and the touch id was just absolutely amazing and i i, I really enjoyed it um my my issue is that i suffer from pretty severe rsi in my wrists and I never really figured out why, but for, for some reason on that on that device, I was it really aggravated my RSI. Long story short, and so I had to I had to return that machine very very unfortunately. So right now I'm I'm on my um, my 2013 MacBook Pro, which you know has served me really well over the years, um, and um, I'm just going to stay here for a while until the the next rev of. Uh, MacBooks to see if 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 that one's better for my RSI or not. Um, I certainly have an iPad as well. Um, I absolutely love the form factor of the iPad Mini, so that's what I currently have, and I'm trying my best to keep it. Um, but 
I don't know. The writing's on the wall for me. I'm I, I, I'm going to have to go buy one of those iPad Pros. I, I I'm really really quite smitten with Abby's, and I'm going to have to I'm going to have to go get myself one. Um, and I, I have the iPhone. You know, iPhone Seven Plus uh, was was my device for the longest time, and same story. It just, it was a bit too big for my hands. So it started to hurt my wrist for whatever reason. So, so I actually have, have an iPhone seven as well. And I find for me, switching devices, it was what helps my RSI the most. So I actually use an iPhone seven. Then I use my iPhone seven plus, then I go to my mini, then I go to my Mac and I just kind of keep on switching between the, to keep things moving. Yeah, that makes sense. Really? So, so Greg, okay, here's our last question. Greg, uh, Pick one app not made by your company that you really like and tell us about it. Okay. Um, I really love Slack. Um, and again, I think it comes out of it because we're a distributed company and everyone's working from home and it really allows us to have a sense of community. Um, and the other thing that I did want to mention is that uh, we also have to exclude apps that are made by the other folks on the show, because if that were the case, I have to you know, fess up for one password and OmniFocus because those are very important to 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 my life as well. Ken, what about you? <laughs> well, I uh, I guess I already mentioned that I use GoodNotes uh, in every meeting that I go to, so I, I think that would be the uh, the one I'd have to list as my favorite app, not made by somebody on this show. <laughs> um, the uh, I, I'm not sure what to say about it other than it with the Apple Pencil and particularly on the. Uh, the newer iPad with the fast refresh it is uh, really great to just be able to write like I'm writing on paper and take notes uh, in a meeting without, you know, any sort of uh, distracting typing. Uh, and it's good at letting you, you know, circle some text and move it around on the page. And uh, yeah, it's really great. Uh, great app. Yeah, I've been doing that too, Ken, taking notes with a pencil in meetings. And it's interesting to me that um, I don't even work with a lot of geeks some days. And now it's just become accepted. People, it's not no longer um, unique or a point of discussion that I'm doing it. And with the with the the refresh rate and the Apple Pencil, now it's, it's completely doable without really even thinking about it. It's no longer like, uh, you, you're never, no longer paying like a geek tax to do it. It's It's really great. Dave, why don't you finish us up today? I think I'm going to have to go with uh, with Bear. I um, I've always been a really big Ulysses fan. I, I just love the distraction free writing, and Bear came on the scene relatively recently to me, anyways. And I just I, I really enjoy it as a as a writing app. You know, it's everything just gets out of my way. I can just focus on on what I want to write. Um, it's got a a lot of re really nice features in there. Like, you know, I, I actually use it as like an impromptu to-do list. Like I'll be sitting there writing an article and I can just go and put to-do list items directly in the article itself. So I kind of know, you know, what, what to go back to. Um, I, I really enjoy their really simple approach with tags. Um, you can have like nested tags and these things. And um, I don't know, I, I quite honestly, I, I, I gave it a go because I really like that they were on a subscription model, to be honest, because uh, I, I knew they'd be around for the long haul. So I I, I tried them out, um, leaving Ulysses there. And interestingly enough, Ulysses just switched to a subscription model. So I I, I currently have a, a debate on whether or not I'm going back to Ulysses or not. Well, it's, it's fun to hear that you guys, even with all this experience, you still struggle with figuring out the right app sometimes because that's my life. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> 
Well, gang, we want to thank you so much for joining us again for this developer roundtable. We will, we will definitely ask you to come back again. Um, I do want to let people know where they can find you. Obviously, we know where we can find um, your respective companies. Um, but Ken, if people want to follow you, or are you on social media? Where, where can they find you? Uh, the uh, the most active place to find me would be on Twitter, which is uh, where you can find me as K, my first initial, Case, C-A-S-E, so K-Case. And uh, Greg, how about you? Where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter as MacGreg, M-A-C-G-R-E-G. And Dave? Uh, same place. Good old Twitter. Um, uh, D-T-E-R. Uh, D-T-E-A-R-E. Great. And of course, you can find us on Twitter. The show is at Mac Power Users. David is at Mac Sparky. And I'm Katie Floyd on Twitter as well. Uh, we also want to thank our sponsors for this episode. Uh, that would be MindNode, Fracture, SaneBox, and Squarespace. And we will see you all next time. Thank you.